Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and joining me as always, Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? Not much, man. How you doing? Oh, dude, I'm doing good. I'm getting excited about this weekend. We've got the traditional Archers of Oregon banquet. So if you guys are listening and are in the Oregon area or you just want to come support the traditional Archers of Oregon, uh, we hope to see you guys there. It should be a a fun Saturday uh, getting together with uh, new friends and old friends and talking uh, some bow hunting. Yeah, right on. We've got, I think, uh, Mark Penniger. He's going to be there doing a uh, seminar, and we plan to get a podcast with Mark. He's been on the show uh, once before, and we're looking forward to getting him back on. Uh, I know Jim Akinson and his wife are going to be the keynote speaker at the banquet. Uh, there's a elk calling seminar for you guys. Uh, there'll be some vendors. So it should be a good time. Yeah, always is. Yeah. What else? What else do we have coming up? Uh, We're gonna me and Andy, and you're coming up too to the Portland Sportsman Show um, up here at the Expo Center, right? That's coming yeah, up that's, in February. I think Andy said uh, Andy from Addictive Archery has got a booth there, and I think he said that's the largest sportsman show. Uh, west of the mississippi yeah. so uh that should be uh, should be a good time i'm looking forward to getting up there and uh meeting some of our local uh sportsmen and sportswomen yeah we'll be hanging out in andy's addictive archery booth yeah selling so, cheap wood arrows for him <laughs> yeah so if you guys are you know in the area in the greater portland uh or area or out in the northwest you guys should make it out to the show and stop by the addictive archery booth and Say hi. We'd love to uh, meet you guys. Yeah, um, that's uh, February 6th to the 10th, I think, or something like that, or 6th to the 9th. Yeah, so that I'm looking forward to, to that show. That should be a ton of fun. Um, we've, got, we've got a couple super cool dudes on tonight. Who do we got, Bob? Uh, we got Ryan Avery from Rock Slide. And Avery Adventures. Uh, and Avery Adventures. He's got his own podcast. Uh, super cool guy. Uh, Andy actually met him at the BHA banquet last year. And that's kind of how we got in contact with him. He's a <clears throat> great dude. Killed a lot of elk up in the jungle in northern Idaho with a stick bow. And uh, super, super knowledgeable on the gear and all the latest and greatest uh, clothing and backpacks. And it's kind of what he does. A lot of stuff on his website there rock slide about uh, yeah rock slide is a uh um a form and they they have a lot of talk about uh gear and they've got to play a resource to buy used gear for cheap yeah the classifieds on there are awesome if you're looking for a pack or or some you know whatever jackets pants i mean they they do have a lot of stuff on there so that's a good resource for sure yeah and they even got a kind of an active uh traditional archery uh forum within the forum there which is pretty cool if you go to, you know want to reach out to some other guys so it's a it's a really awesome uh, resource for in, anyone that's uh into hunting especially backpack hunting yeah heck yeah and 
and we've got one of his best friends, uh, Aaron Snyder from uh, Kufaro International, and he's got uh, the Kafara Cast podcast. Um, he was formerly on the Gritty Bowman podcast as a co-host for for many years. So um, it should be a super uh, great podcast if you guys enjoy it. They're both just super solid guys. Um, they both love traditional archery. And I think that really shows uh, here in the podcast. Yeah, for sure. It was cool having them on. It was just kind of happened by chance that we they both came on, so it, it worked out pretty good. Yeah, we we actually had them both kind of lined up, and one of uh, Ryan looked like he wasn't available, and then we were going to do Snyder, and then Snyder said, "Hey, well, put us on together. We're you know we're homies," and so. I'm glad we did. It made for a, a great conversation, and so yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, and you know, if you guys have any uh, have any questions, or uh, you know, any anyone else you guys want to see or hear on the show, you know, feel free to send us a private message on Facebook or Instagram, or send us an email. Or you can click on our email on our Instagram page. Or find us at tradquestpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, enjoy the show. And don't forget about the arrow giveaway from our last episode. Uh, Addictive Archery and Echo Archery Sherwood Shafts are donating a dozen arrows for us. So go on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and leave us a review and you'll get entered to win a sweet custom dozen arrows. And also, don't forget to check out Andy put our last podcast on the YouTube. So yeah, you can so watch, and he, and he edited in some of his hunt footage he had and some of just us around camp and stuff. So it was pretty cool how he put it on there. So Addictive Archery, if you just search that on YouTube, you can check it out, and you can leave a comment on there too. Yeah, and you guys definitely leave us the reviews. Tell your friends to leave us the reviews. Give us five stars. Um, these arrows, you're getting a, uh, the winner's going to get a premium dozen made up by Andy Ponce of Addictive Archery. You're going to get to choose how you want your fletchings, what colors, what stain, what dip. I mean, we're talking ultra custom, super fancy arrows and definitely, uh, put yourself in to win. Welcome to the track quest podcast, guys. I've got Ryan Avery from Avery Adventures. And Aaron Snyder from Kufaro International. Uh, what's going on, fellas? Glad we finally made it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, so why don't we start this off by uh, telling us, you know, kind of how you guys know each other. I met Aaron. I bought a pack from, I think, off Bowsight in like 2006-ish, Aaron, 5-ish, somewhere in there. It was a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago, and... Uh, then he just kept harassing me. He was trying to get fitness tips and shit. <laughs> I wanted it. Turns out it paid off. I'm <laughs> uh, uh, lucky enough he threw in some dieting advice in there too. So I wrote that down. Uh, well, then it just kind of went from there, and I just he kept talking about building a website, and then finally, five or six years later, it happened. And so you are a uh, you are part owner in the. Rock slide form website. Correct. Yeah, we both own part of it. And then uh, 
he decided he wanted to quit answering questions, so he left me. I did. I left him high and dry. By the way, can we cuss on this podcast? Because the F-bombs for me are like a comma, so I got to really say shit. I might not say shit this entire time. If we, can. No, if, if, um, if we could keep the F-bombs down, that would be uh, appreciated on the editing process. Oh, man. Uh, I'll do my best. Okay. Aaron. I'm going to be saying fudge. Oh, I'm like Matt Davis. Like, oh, cuss. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, um, I think uh, I don't know. Somewhere in the midst of all that, with the um, Rocklight uh, stuff, I um, I kind of had a mental meltdown—not like a real meltdown—but I started being mean to everybody. In fact, I yelled at Robbie Denning so bad to this day. I don't still don't think he likes me. Um, I don't know if he'd admit that to my face, but I got super pissed, and so it was one of those things for like I would say more like lifestyle, like peace of mind um then uh you know i i sold my shares or what did we do i got i think you guys gave me a camera lens or something wasn't it dude i don't even remember what we what you bought out for <laughs> yeah but um but yeah either way and then robbie and ryan took took it over and were, were you living uh in colorado then or were you still in oregon or no man i haven't been in oregon in a long time um i was in colorado okay so you're originally from Oregon. You left there like when you were 18 or something. Yeah, I joined the army in 94 or five, and then uh, was stationed um, I don't know whatever all over the place really. And then I ended up down in uh, Fort Carson uh, in Colorado Springs, and then I got out here, and then I moved around quite a bit, and then came back. Awesome. And so, uh, Ryan, you've been shooting a stick bow um, on and off for a long time. I shot it from 96, 97 to pretty straight through till like 2008 ish, 2009. And for most of those seasons, all I did was stick bow hunt, especially for elk. Not so much for like bear and deer, but elk, I just stick bow hunted. And, and you've been going through some shoulder issues? Yeah, I need to have a total replacement, basically cadaver ligament and re- reconstruction of my left shoulder copy yikes you know what speaking of trad shoulders broderick brought something up to me it's uh called trad shoulder and it's when you and i'm not saying ryan has this because he has bad shoulders but i guess for trad guys some of them come down with trad shoulder and that's when they can't kill anything with a trad bow so they pick up a compound because <laughs> the compound is easier to draw <laughs> Uh, <laughs> now, for all you trad guys, I don't want to be hearing any shit about that. I didn't come up with that. That was Brian Broderick, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> I like it. I've, I've seen that a few times myself. <laughs> that's that's very funny. I I don't. I would rather pick up nothing than pick up a compound again. So I'm not in that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Sh- shoulder issues suck, man. I I just had surgery. What you? Two years ago, I had a torn labrum, so I know the pain, man. And I know I heard heard uh, those RMS gear guys. I don't remember which brother it is. Dan, I think he's had like nine surgeries or something from wrestling, and he's pretty much forced to shoot a compound now. So that's yeah, not, he's, uh, not he's, fun. I don't know yeah. if I can say this. You got to edit, but he's effed up like a football bat. He shoots like super low, like fifty some pounds on a on a compound just so he can 
shoot, they're only like five minutes from Kafar, so I go over there and pester them all the time. So uh, are those guys kind of, did they have um, uh, some influence on you when you uh, picked up the stick bow, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest guy that had the biggest influence of me changing was the guy on the phone, Ryan Avery. But as far as actually being able to hit what I aimed at and tuning, that was all, you know, the clones at Rocky Mountain. Um, you know, you know, definitely Tom Sr. Um, you know, the fact that I was able to kill anything with that thing was because of Tom. Because, um, I mean, I, I had, you know, really good luck, but I also, um, you know, pretty much set myself up for victory. You know, I, I had the clones to help me uh, with form, tuning, what, you know, what to do, what not to do. Uh, and then I set up a, you know, one hell of a schedule for myself so I could actually go hunting a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you had a, a, one heck of a season for a guy brand new to the stick bow, but I'm imagine that, uh, attributed to the woodsmanship that you already had. And like you said, you were able to hunt a lot, in a lot of places. Um, I know that it's been well hashed over, uh, on lots of podcasts, uh, you know, your, your adventures. And if, you know, the guys are listening, don't know, uh, Aaron Snyder, he was a uh, co-host on Gritty Bowman for, uh, quite a long time. And all that stuff has been pretty well talked about. You know, all Aaron really yeah. did is he made, he made more animals get wounded in 2017 than any time. <laughs> 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 Because, I, I think the uh, and <laughs> go ahead, Russ. <laughs> because Aaron, Aaron, one thing Aaron does that people don't realize: I shot a trad bow pretty much for 10, 11 straight years, and Aaron came up here bear hunting two years ago with me, and he actually rekindled my fire to get back into stick bow shooting. That just that time he's up here spring bear hunting with me, but Aaron's a phenomenal hand eye guy, so hand eye coordination obviously is a big factor in shooting a bow, and some guys never get that. Well, Aaron, I shot eleven years, and I was never, never on the level Aaron was just shooting it for six months. So, I put a facade out there that anybody can do it, and I'm out here to tell everybody some people shouldn't do it, and they right. have to know when they shouldn't do it. Exactly. Every, every time I go to the three D range, I see those guys that should just stick with the compound. And that's hard for people to hear. Uh, Aaron has two things. He's obsessive compulsive and he has the time to do it. And that's, that's a big factor that people leave out. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. And I mean, the, the, the season's been talked about the nauseam, so we don't need to cover that. But I, if I was going to stress to anyone, um, anything, it would definitely be, you have got to practice in my opinion with a trad bow with good form and, and a good coach every day as much as you possibly can to be semi-effective. And that is good for a personality like I'm very set, like same with photography. I don't uh, mess around. I get into stuff and I, and I try to perfect it. What I, what I also learned was um, there's a lot of guys that grab their bow a week before season, compound and stick bow is everyone and start, you know, flinging arrows. Thank God, most of them. But it takes a lot of dedication to be effective with a stick bow. Uh, more than I even anticipated. A lot more than I anticipated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I I've got that OCD also. You know, an obsessive compulsive disorder, and I just want to like dive head in. And I know, like, listening to all the podcasts that you've been on, um, you know, and here, you know, on the Trad Quest, 
we're you know a stick bow oriented podcast and we uh try not to be uh affiliated as um i guess uh elitists but let like let's face it like you know we hunt with guys that shoot compounds and rifles and muzzleloaders and whatever but hunting with like a stick bow is a lot different than hunting with a compound i mean it's a it's a totally different experience yeah i i, hate I, I would i would concur yeah that uh, word elitist is the problem is i personally think that the compound shooters are way more elitist than the stick bow hunters anybody that's an actual real stick bow hunters knows there's limitations there the compound guys are the ones that always throw it in your face oh did you shoot it with a rifle or did you shoot it with a bow well I shot it with the weapon that I wanted to. It's not elitist. It's just what you're doing. But the compound guys always jump in there and, I don't know, it's just a bow rifle thing all the time. And then they have the same problem when it goes to the stick bow side. They're like, well, those guys just wound stuff. Well, I find a lot of dead elk with arrows in them, and they don't have feathers attached. They have veins. Yeah. So there's a lot of guys. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the whole big tip, they're like, we do all need to stick together. And we, we agree with that. Like we're all hunters. We all need to stick together on the issues and the public lands. And, but I mean, if you guys, you guys have listened to our podcast, like we're trying to get out there that it is different. You know, traditional archery is different. It takes a lot more practice. It's your effective range is way shorter. Even if you're a great shot, like Aaron is, and he can shoot out to 40 with a recurve. Well, he, he can shoot 80 or 90 with a compound and, and, that's kind of what we we preach is like we're just trying to get it that it is different and we're hoping to maybe get some more of these traditional seasons because we're gonna you know we're losing opportunity if you guys have listened to some of our podcasts they've already done it up in alberta and it's and it's gonna kind of start happening down here too so uh, when when you were in alberta aaron you were with uh uh roderick is that how you um, Jeff Lander, the outfitter, um, who's a trad guy, and I was with Brian Broderick, who was the guy hunting, and he's a right. trad guy too. Right, and you were right behind him when he made the shot, and I, li- I really liked your, uh, you know, your take on that. It sounds like that got you pretty excited to watch him make that perfect shot w- with you right on his shoulder. Yeah, oh yeah, and I mean, I literally was like, like when he drew his bow back, I had to lean my chest back for his elbow to clear he didn't know that you can tell on camera so i was that that close um yeah and for me i i mean i'm like in the thick of everything as far as like i'm in the midst of the compound thing um you're shooting too far which i've done um farther than i should even talk about and and arguably farther than i I mean i got a lot of hate from for shooting that mule deer at 40 yards i mean i had some horrible shit sent to me about shooting that mule deer in Alberta at 40, um, you know, but to, to, to me, I, I think the biggest kind of, um, you know, is on both sides of the fence. The biggest thing that I've learned in the last three years of compound to trad to compound is, is, uh, when we all suck when it comes to people wound shit, there's a, a holes on both sides of the fence, meaning you got stick bow guys that probably maybe don't practice as much as they should. You got compound guys, that think that they can hit a foam target at 60. So they're flinging arrows at 60 as a live animal and, and shouldn't. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, uh, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, like both sides of the fence could definitely do a little bit of work on one, getting along with each other and two, not being so elitist about it. Absolutely. I think, uh, that's a, good, a really good point. 
Um, and it comes comes down to practice because what you can do on a foam target is not it's not what uh, live animals. It's not the same. No, and I mean, Lander was very clear when I got out of the truck, and he's a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends. He said, "Aaron, you shoot an I can't remember. He said past sixty or eighty. He's like, you fling an arrow past sixty or eighty. I don't give a shit if you hit it or not. You're gonna with punch your, your tag." With your compound. <laughs> With my compound. And I was like, man, I'm cool. I know you can do it. I've seen you shoot, and I've seen you hit animals at distances I didn't think were possible. But if you miss, you're punching your tag. And I'm like, dude, that's fair. Because if I, you know, if I let her buck, I've made the choice, right, that I think I can hit it. And he said, I know you, I know you can, and I know you will, and I have no doubt, but i got to set some kind of parameters. You're a, high, you're a very known name. He goes, you let it rip, you got to tag it. And I'm like, dude, we're cool. I have no animosity whatsoever. Now, I ended up shooting it at 35 yards. But I tell you what, on that stock, I had a shot at 80 that I seriously thought about taking. And I'm like, huh, I really don't want to punch my tag on dirt. <laughs> Get a little bit closer. And now, I know, I know you've gone back to the uh, compound and are dabbling still with the stick bow. Uh, by listening to some of the podcasts, it sounds like you know, you do have a high level of res- or at least a, a high level of respect, or maybe it's not the word respect, but you realize it's a different feeling when punching that tag with the stick bow. So is there, is there more stick bow hunts in the future for you or? Um, man, I don't, if, I mean, to be totally candid, I mean, if I had to pick a weapon, especially if I didn't have to, to kill anything is that as bad as that sounds you're just i'm not as lethal with a stick bow it may have looked like it i'm not you know i'm not <laughs> who is I, I i i i mean people are like oh you did whatever you you did better than you have in your past with a compound it's like well yeah but all i did was hunt for myself i i like helping people and i can help a guy and have a couple days to hunt with a compound and, and get it done i Absolutely. um i don't take a little bit longer with a stick bow. So if I had to choose one weapon, it'd be a stick bow to hunt with. Um, if everything was, you know, right. And, you know, there was, you know, sunshine and rainbows in the sky, <laughs> but one, it also affects me financially. Um, shooting, but, you know, really in time wise, it just takes more time. But as far as like respect, I learned a lot about my, I mean, Avery will tell you, I learned, one, I'm a way better hunter hunting with a stick bow, and I would never deny that. Because, I mean, an animal jumps up at 40 and runs out to 80, it's dying. Like, I'm going to kill it with a compound. I mean, as arrogant as that sounds, it's probably going to die. Where with a stick bow, that's like a par four. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even close enough at it. So I had to be way calmer and way more patient and really more methodical because I couldn't let my shooting ability compensate uh for my hunting skills uh with a stick bow yeah i could i couldn't agree more i mean i think i would fill my tags a lot faster i know i would when i hunt with the compound it's you know just being able to hold the bow back and have the let off when that bull's coming in and 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 punch the trigger when the time's right it it makes a big difference i will say for me that portion of it is um is inconsequential i mean thank thank god i'm strong enough i can actually hold a 45 pound 48 pound recurve back for a long time um uh, long enough to where 
I, very rarely do I draw a compound back and stay at full draw for a long time. Um, man, it's just hitting the damn thing. I mean, right. it, you tell tell you should you missed a giant bull and then shot a spike because your mind just goes to shit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, but I want to back up there, back up there because you're one of the only guys that can shoot a 48 pound bow because you got a power stroke like freaking Bigfoot. So that that's a big yeah, difference. I do that. You know, you got yeah. T-Rex arms over here. I got to shoot 60 pounds because I can only pull it 26 <laughs> inches. So there's a big difference. So holding back 60 to holding back 48, man, I wish I could do that. Yeah. No, I mean, when I shot that bull with me, I was a draw for man, a long time. Well, three-quarter to full draw for quite a while. But, again, a lot of – I mean, about – I mean – I literally almost jerked a tear when I killed that elk. Like that was about as much as I could. Or, I lost. I, I owe somebody a dollar. That was about as much as I could handle with uh, with track. Because normally I kill an elk opening morning every year, right? If if not my list be cow or bull, and I was getting my, you know my ass kicked on this on this elk hunt, and I mean finally I killed one, um, but I mean literally like I had to sit down and take a minute where most people have seen when I shoot an animal, I'm like, Oh, Hey, look at that. And I, I, my heart rate doesn't go up. I mean, I literally had to stop and take a breather cause I just couldn't, you know, get my craft together. Yeah. That doesn't happen with a compound. I'm like, I should that that mule deer without, uh, with in Alberta this year. I'm like, Hey Lander, I got that one. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I, ki- I killed it, man. Come grab me. And he was giving me crap about it. And he was like, you shot that, you know, mule deer with, with your stick. And it's just a totally different thing. I mean, it's, it's extremely, I mean, tenfold more rewarding because you know you've earned it. Yeah, yeah, sure. that, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just That's even a- tell them your story, the difference between the big bear you shot with your compound the next year you're coming up and stalking that one and hitting it but not finding it. Oh, I shot a toad with my compound. I was taking photos of it before I killed it and uh, <laughs> shot it. And I'm like, oh, hey, cool, you know. And then I literally and i wounded one with 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 i mean i wasn't with ryan we're in the same camp but um a totally different you know feeling in the point blank that that bear turned broadside at 69 yards i would have killed it with my compound without blinking an eye well i ended up walking eight yards stalking in eight yards from it uh yeah about shit myself you know it stood up in this little hole and i'm like ah and uh, totally different feeling for the compound. I wouldn't experience any of that because it would have been dead on the side of the hill at 69 yards. Right. Just different. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a different animal, that's, that's for sure. I mean, we've all hunted with both. And Have you guys hunted uh, with stick bows together? Or? Mm, we did with Brian a little, a little bit. bit not really. I hunted more with Casey on that hunt. Okay, gotcha. But to get back to is when I missed that, I called in this just dandy 5 by 6 bull. <laughs> I mean, picture a gagger, a yacker. Uh, he was out from North Idaho. He's a 300 plus nice bull came in just like on a string pulled back at a, at a whopping eight yards and shot over him by four feet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, I've done that. This 2015. So instantly I'm ticked and I'm like, you know, you kind of get that blood rage and you're like the next thing that comes in is dying. So I rip off a cow call, the spike rolls in, and I smoke him at like 14 yards right through the heart. And you're like, what the hell just happened? How can I go from four feet to smoking him through the heart? And that's the thing. that beauty of stick bow hunting is you're never perfect. It's, it's, you know, it's like a, a poor man's golf. Yeah, you're it's, never, 
Perfect. It's an art, and that's kind of like we talk to these old guys, like you know Dick Robertson and stuff, and they've been doing it for fifty years, and they're still they still have struggles, you know. Um, speaking of the North Idaho elk, let's get into that a little bit. Uh, so that was twenty fifteen. Yeah, you killed that spike. How are things up there, man? I haven't I haven't hunted up there in quite a while, but I I know the wolves and all that. Like, what's going on up there? Man, there, I don't want to tell this. Is there is there any elk left? Or are you just gonna say no? I'll I'll say there's elk left. And Aaron can Aaron was here last year. There's I seen a lot of nice. You better be ready to work. Yeah, uh, see, I've hunted uh, I've hunted Northwest Montana four four times for two week two weeks at a pop and I never killed anything. <laughs> so I know what the work is and I was right on the border there and I, I hunted the panhandle back in like ninety eight, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. I, I hunt the I hunt the Oregon coast. I don't know if it gets much worse. Well the, the up there it's it's bigger country. The coast is, is steep and it's thick, but you don't have three thousand feet elevation from the bottom of the canyons to the top, you know. Right. Um, and up there you do, man. And it's just bigger country, so it's but it's almost as thick as the coast too. So, um, what have you noticed? What have you noticed, Ryan, up there with the the calling since the wolves have moved in? I mean, you've you've obviously hunted it since before the wolves. You had the the kind of heyday when the wolves were really kicking butt, and you weren't able to control them. Well, now they're they're able to hunt them, trap them. And is that helping? And what what do you think the calling? Has it changed? Is it getting better? Yeah, well, I don't think it's gotten the calling necessarily has gotten gotten better. I don't really think. I think if you picked your spots, I mean, I think in any drainage at any time there can be elk bugling, but I'd notice they don't bugle near as much during the middle of the day unless you get into a situation where Aaron and Brian had where they were had they had a big herd and a few of the cows were in estrus and they seemed like they were going off all day. But over since like ninety, but we. Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. Dude, we, you got to remember, though, how far we walked. Yeah. We were so freaking far from the middle of anyone yeah. that I just don't think it, – it sucked hunting up there, but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, the thing is, it, it does suck, but I don't think the top 12 units in Idaho are built for hunting with a stick bow. I mean, I think there's not a better pl- – I've never hunted the Oregon or Washington coast, but as far as stick bow hunting for elk – if you want to dip your finger into it, and people in Idaho are going to hate me for this, but it is built for short, short range weapons. But uh, as far as calling, yeah, they have dropping off. They're more and more vocal at night, it seems like, and they're not out in the open, like the big openings. And we don't have a lot of big openings, but what I consider big brush fields, they're not out there as much during the daylight hours. But uh, the trapping is really taken a taking a lot of the wolves out of the unit four, five, and six, and seven, where I hunt a lot. So I would say the elk are definitely coming back. And I've seen, last year I seen a herd of 50 elk together. So I think that there's still plenty of elk, but I don't think they're near as vocal as they were in the 90s. Yeah, I think that's from what I've heard, that's kind of what's going on. Um, Unfortunately, I missed the heyday up there in the 90s. and Idaho is still all over the counter. I've heard that you guys are looking to go to a draw system. Is it still, or like a preference point system anyway, or is is that still there, not? There, there's no points in Idaho, but all the units that I usually hunt elk in are over the counter. They do have draws. It's kind of like Oregon. There's there's uh what four or five draw units for archery elk. Yeah, most of those units most... are the big open units. You can glass yeah. them up. North Idaho, you ain't glassing shit up. <laughs> no. 
This is the jungle. So um, you guys also, obviously, rock slide, you're into gear. And up there, it's a that's a test on gear if I've ever been a, been to a place because it'll rain and you're it's wet for three days because you're crawling through that alder and crap. I mean, what do you wear for rain pants up there? And, and like, kind of what's your system? You know, kind of go through. I know you guys, neither of you guys are really – sponsored by any one company so you guys are that's why everybody likes listening to you because you give a good opinion on on what works the best and maybe not just what you know what's paying you to say that on rain pants on rain jackets i don't go through a lot but i went through four pairs of rain pants this year rip rip wise yeah and i i haven't found the perfect rain pant this year i got a set sent a set of 19 they're coming out sitka gear there's coming out in 19 that john barklow said you know, rip these and uh, I'll give it my best shot. But <laughs> So I would say bring multiple pairs of rain gear. Brian took my pair of rain pants last year and ripped them when him and Aaron were hunting together. So it's, I've never found the perfect rain pants. The problem is it's always brush. It's always damp and you're always walking through brush. So there's a lot of moisture in the air. So even when it doesn't rain, you're still going to get wet. So I've kind of went to more trying to find pants in during the bow hunting season. You can't do it when it's colder, but finding pants that dry dry fast dry fast and maybe just gators i i don't like gators but gators are a big help yeah i don't do gators either no aaron probably has a little better because i hunt 90 i would say 70 percent of my hunting is in this terrain so i'm kind of used to it aaron could probably give you more coming from a dry climate of colorado to idaho and back more of a variety of what he's using yeah i mean i don't i mean with i've I'm with you guys. It, there is no, you're not a winner in no winning secret sauce for North Idaho. Um, I wore gators a lot. Um, I destroyed one set of rain pants, you know, when I was up there and I'm pretty certain if I was, if I hunted up there, I bet I, I would say three to four sets of rain pants a year would be <laughs> re- realistic. And that, um, you know, in Colorado, we don't wear rain gear very often, right? We're not rain pants. We wear in a rain jacket, but, I'll read our gators, but I, I mean, as, as far as like, um, you know, rain gear and what's going to stand the test of time. I mean, that, that Sitka Stormfront is good. Odie makes a really good set made out of event. It's more of a tactical company. Um, you know, I wear that really long jacket from Swazi and gators. Um, you look, I mean, it looks like a dress, right? But it's just durable as hell. It's quiet. And the gators go about up to the bottom of it. Um, and I've had super super good luck with uh with swazi gear um you know if you're wearing an ultra light and it's the problem with the industry in general no one gives a shit about durability anymore everybody wants to hear what's lightest and 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 that's cool you know people have spreadsheets and they add and subtract their gear list uh you know that's cool and you need to stay light but you also you know don't really want to die and i mean you want to stay semi-dry and Either to have, like Heli Hansen Impertech would be about the only one I'd say would last a while in North Idaho and actually not leak. Um, all this, all the stuff I've ever used where I've hunted with Ryan has leaked from pressure. There's a there's a two breathe there's a breathability rating and a in a waterproof rating. Um, the the MVTR rating is how breathable it is, and then the um, I can't remember what's called for the for the waterproof uh, um, number. But when you start pushing brush, wet brush pushing against your rain pants, your shoulder strap pushing against your jacket, it's going to push water in. And in North Idaho, um, you know, it's like Ho Chi Minh Trail, just thicker than shit. And, I mean, it's pushing rain in. 
And I haven't found anything that's actually waterproof for North Idaho unless a Telly Hansen would be waterproof because it's rubber. And then you'll sweat to death. So um, <laughs> I just I just sucked it up and was in misery. I was so wet when I came back, I just walked across the river because it didn't matter. I didn't get any wet. I wasn't going to get wetter. Yeah, I've been um, there. Yeah. Is, yeah. That, is that Helly Hansen uh, so, stuff yeah. PVC type material? Yeah, PVC. Gotcha. Yep. And, and doesn't uh, Sitka makes like, the, is it a downpour suit where it's got rubber inside of it? Have you tried that? You're, it's got, yeah, it's going to leak. It's going to yeah. leak, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so you're, so basically, ba- you're basically screwed. North Idaho oh, yeah. is a nightmare, basically. I had a pair of cryptic Poseidon pants <laughs> la- that Aaron gave me. What they last? Like two minutes? <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan's a bit vertically challenged. He's got an ass on him like a, it's a ghetto butt, right? a big old butt. And uh, so the, the crotch of that thing, right? I mean, he's going to rip a crotch out, and then he's not exactly – he's fast. I will give him that. I, on a foot race, I don't know. I wouldn't want to run from him. But when you t- start talking about crawling over a deadfall, <laughs> there's not going to be any, like, super hops, athletic ability – He's kind of rolling over it with a tough hit. And so how many sets of pants you think you rip out on the inside from rolling over and catching stubs? Oh, I rip almost all my pants out of the crotch <laughs> because there is so many deadfalls. Like I had a pair of uh, the the uh, first year the Corrigate came out and they sent me a prototype pair and I had them ripped the first time we went bear hunting within 30 minutes. And I'm like, well, there goes another pair. So that the problem is, is there is a lot of stops on five foot eight with short legs, longer torso. So I go hell on pants. Hell, it, on. Yeah. it seems like with like the it's human nature to go like you said the the lightest, the fastest. Like when you go to the extreme, no matter if you're talking uh, your equipment, your gear, you lose durability, you lose reliability when you go to that far end of the spectrum and it seems to be like that's what humans want to do we want the fastest the lightest the and then you you're giving up uh a lot you you can for sure i mean coming from a design aspect um you know designing gear for kafaru i mean breaking point for everything there's a point where you're teetering on how much is this how much is saving this weight worth um you know, the potential warranty issue, somebody failing in the field, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I, and I'm not talking down to, to anyone, but, but Ryan can, can tell you as much as I can. A lot of the problem that I've seen is a lot of people don't use their stuff. And <laughs> they're very good at reading labels and, and repeating shit that they've overheard or someone else says. And then they get online and they start talking about it. And it almost becomes gospel when that guy hasn't been five miles in with two bulls on the ground and a snowstorm come in um, and figuring out what the hell they're going to do. Right. Where that's, that's where gear really matters. Or they haven't been to 12,000 feet on a sheep hunt when a storm comes in and oh, that ultra light, super spin drifted, whatever the hell you want to call it. Jacket <laughs> is what's supposed to keep you alive. Well, my extra, you know, eight ounces in my jacket is keeping me warm and alive as we're stuck in this rock outcropping, praying to God that, that you know, we make it out alive. Um, most people don't put themselves into that position. And so it's a moot point. It, it's inconsequential what it weighs because it's easy gear. All gear is great in the basement. 
is not all good on the side of a mountain. And I mean, Ryan, you got to deal with it way more than me. How yeah. often do you think that happens with, especially online where guys are really just repeating, you know, specs and hypothetical situation and haven't actually tested it? Man, I would say as high as 70, 80%. And with social media and forums like Rockside, it's hard to discredit those guys without looking like an asshole. So that word keeps spreading. And there's pieces of gear that are absolute garbage that come out and people don't use them, but they're well-respected, you know, through social media, which doesn't actually verify or vet anybody. And those guys are spewing misinformation that gets picked up as the gospel and puts people in bad situations. Yeah, absolutely. I see that all the way across the board. Like guys talk, talk broadheads and one guy, one arm chat, one guy's telling you this broadhead's no good, but yet you look and it's like, well, he, he's never killed nothing, but he's going to tell you which broadhead to use. Yep. Um, oh, I got that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I have no experience with uh, Kufaru, but from what I've noted, you know, from my research and paying attention, you guys don't seem to really jump into the whole the lightest. You, you guys seem to make like function seems to be the high priority. I make mean, your guys's puffy coat is pretty overbuilt. Your uh, tents, you guys seem to make stuff that's gonna function versus uh, be the lightest or the fastest or whatever. We try. I mean, we're definitely working on some stuff that's um, a little bit lighter, but. When you go that light, you also have to go through a year or more of testing to make sure that you haven't crossed that threshold where, where uh, you know, the hard ass, uh, the fine line between hard ass and dumb ass and the, the fine line between <laughs> lightweight, um, you know, you, 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 you get close to crossing that. And if, if you, one specific company, I won't mention any names, when they first started out, they gave me three of their frames. I broke them all in the first month. Should have been recalled one of the most epic piece of shit probably known to man in the hunting industry. And here they are now on level five, the greatest, highest technology <laughs> gear known to man. You're on your fifth one in four years, boys. How, 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 how good was it to begin with? How yeah. much was that piece of shit tested? I mean, snapping in half. I sat on one and it broke. I picked one to put it up in the back of the helicopter. I had to pull a Tommy boy kind of smush it back down and when the guy dude what'd you do how'd you break that because it was not tested and when you're going to go that light and that's one good thing about it you know not to mention other pack companies names i think stone glacier is pretty good about is uh they don't they get real close to that line but i don't think they cross it their stuff's obviously not going to be as durable as something heavier than theirs but I, I think it's very well tested and very well thought out where you get other companies that is designed in California, you know, tested in the garage, rolled off a grassy hill, and off you go, ready for the field. <laughs> well, Aaron, we do Aaron, let me jump on there. The thing about it, if you take Aaron or you take Kurt from Stone Glacier, those guys are in the mountains. They're not hiking on some nature path outside their back door. Kurt and Aaron are in the fields hundreds of days of year, hundreds of days a year with weight in their pack. They're not taking, I guess the thing is, is those guys are going to find the flaws in their lightweight packs, in their heavyweight packs long before the guy that's just taken out on a nice little stroll. And I think that's the thing that gets lost with all these, the internet hype is this pack. They put all this money into marketing where Aaron and Kurt are going out and putting their money in their backpacks with, with weight on their back. 
time and time again, two or three years before you even see that pack, where the other guys just want to get that pack out so fast, they might have the shortcuts and it might be good enough. But as soon as you get it in situations that Aaron or Kurt are going to put those in or any hardcore hunter, yeah. then you get the fells. Yeah, and I, I would agree with everything that Ken just said. And I mean, we, you know, what the, the you know, like this year, I don't know how many, you know, hunts I, I was on, and maybe twenty or something, a lot of different hunts, and um, everything from you know yanking stuff across the river on a on a Argo looking thing or whatever, a four wheeler to uh, mountain bikes to backpacking in to plane rides to everything horseback, where you know, we're doing that one, I get to stock it up to R and D and marketing. So I get to go hunting for my job, but we're doing it for That's a reason, nice. which is to test it. I know it is. <laughs> How I clicked it. How I clicked it my way into that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but it, it tests all this different gear. And so when someone says to me, Hey, um, you know, I'm heading on whatever and I need to, you know, this is the amount of weight. This is what I'm going to be doing. I can legitimately say, yeah, man, I was on that hunt a couple of years ago. This is the pack I use about the size you'll need. And I can in good conscience know that thing's not going to fall apart. Um, and that's not, you know, our marketing budget is, as well as Stone Glacier is extremely low comparable to our competitors. I think that's because um, the guys, you know, at Kafaro and the guys at Stone Glacier try to pride themselves more on um, – you know, on, on actually testing and designing the product and not, and not selling snake oil. Yeah. Yeah. I think that shows. Um, so back to the gear, I want to just talk a little bit more about clothes up there. What about base layers, Ryan? What, what did you guys, are you guys a fan of Merino or do you like synthetic? There is nothing better in my opinion than arrow wool, and they just made it better by putting um, nylon in yeah. it over poly. Okay, and that poly. just came out last year, right? Yes. Yeah, so I that's, tried that. that's that's the stuff that First Light's doing like a blend of the two. Yeah, there was poly for 2017. What? The new year, this year, it's nylon and merino. And does that badass? I've got it, some. Is it? And this does it still the stinks not in there? Does it still help with the smell? Not that I've noticed. That was my okay. biggest concern because polygene, which is warm from Sitka, but I can't. It's just like I wear an Under Armour for me. I stink the first day using it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, And I want to jump on something. Another pair of pants that I use this year, speaking of drying quick, and I know Aaron used them, but the uh, the new Ascent pants, they, they are really pretty durable and they dry extremely quickly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. No, I mean, what Ryan said, I concur that. I would have said Merino wool three years ago. Um, you know, right now, Aero, I, I've got multiple different types of Merinos and that new Aero wool from, from first light is, I will revolutionize base layers. And I hate to use the word revolutionize. Everybody <laughs> has the plan to say it. But there, there is a couple of revolutionary products I've gotten to use this year that's coming out in the next couple of weeks that will definitely you know, shock the world. And I would say that arrow wool's at the top of it for, for clothing. Do you, do you, uh, can you, can you share any more of those products with us? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to double tap on the whole base layer thing. So if we're done with that, I can go on a little bit if you want. Yeah. The one thing that I will say about the arrow wool, what it does, it gives you all the benefits of Merino, but dries faster and more durable. So that's what they're after. And, and, and you're getting this, the, the odor, uh, Right, low, it's merino. Low. So yeah. the merino's still yeah. there with no odor, and it dries faster, and it's more durable. So you're winning all the way around. 
Nice. Yeah, and that's I can awesome. Tell you from, that's awesome. I soaked seven different merino base layers in a bathtub, all the same weight. That new merino from first I dried the fastest by far. Um, and I don't mean like, like you know, a, a little bit when I say by far, meaning half a day fastest. Um, and then I you we soak it and then we wear it till it's dry. It was dry for me wearing it faster. And then you put it under a puffy jacket or something that blocks the wind, um, but generates heat inside, it dries even quicker. So it's pretty amazing stuff. We sound like yeah. a sham well commercial. I've been a big uh, advocate for the Merino wool from First Light. I, I've been wearing their stuff for several years now, and it's hard to beat. And so now that they have a better product, I'm looking forward to trying it. Um, I did have a big problem with those red desert boxers, those things are awesome but they they would just rip and tear like i'm a fat-legged fella too and uh the new um i've been more boxers they are very durable the new arable ones super durable. okay that's good to hear i I was just gonna say i wore ex officio for the last six years and i'll probably switch this year to that the new arable boxers just because they they they're just a better product and they're lighter weight so what and what were you wearing before aaron Ex officio, um, E X E F I C I O or some shit. I don't know. They're they're a synthetic, but they didn't. They took a long time to stink. Okay, gotcha. So you mentioned uh, uh, some gators you liked. Um, I've never even heard of that company in this long jacket. Uh, what Aussie. was the name? Yeah, where, where where is that? I've never even heard of that. New Zealand, and you might you you know you buy that jacket, you better sell your testicle and a kidney. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's five eighty or something. But I oh. mean, I've had it now for three years. You can't even still can't tell it's even been used. And uh, uh, Swazi's one of those. It's a cult like following um, over in New Zealand, Australia. It they just they you know some of their stuff's kind of low tech, but very very durable and functional. Uh, but their anorak jacket. Uh, which is something sick to kind of copy this year. They've made a, a long dress kind of jacket um, like that Swazi. And it's not, I say they copied, it's not like dusters haven't been out since the cowboy days, right? It's a duster looking thing. It's long. Um, and uh, that those, those jackets I prefer. I like the longer jacket. Is hey, that Aaron, a hunting Aaron, company? Have you, Aaron, have you tried the one from cryptic that kind of copied that Swazi one or not? That's cheaper. I, I have not. Okay. Is Swazi a hunting-based company? or? Yeah, the guy's crazy as hell that owns it, Davey. In fact, he told me the story about sneaking a polar bear back into Australia once and tried to tell the border guard it was a bunch of Arctic foxes or something. <laughs> he's crazy as hell. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> he's hunted. They have a jacket that I wear frequently. It's all fleece with windstopper on the inside called the Nahani. Well, that was built off Nahani Butte when he hunted with the Lancaster at Nahani Butte Outfitter. Um it's, you know, you, it's a fleece jacket with windstopper on the inside. It, it's just, it's super quiet and it's super warm. You're not going to win any fashion shows. I can do that. Um, I mean, Frank makes, anytime I put any Swazi on, I got some kind of crazy ass comment from Frank because it's just not your standard American cool, typical look. Right. And, and they make the, uh, they make a gator that you're fond of also. Mm. No, I just, I wear outdoor research gators. Okay. Um, between those and those first light gators, I'm not a big fan of the thick ones. They're like quitter socks. They kind of creep down on me. Yeah. Um, 
I've, I've had good luck with outdoor research crocodile and then those uh, first light gators. Okay. I have not had good luck with the first light gators. I've okay. ripped two pairs all yeah. the hell. What about uh, puffy coats? What do, what do you guys like in the, in that department? Well, if you just want to wear one puffy coat, and it's hard. And I mean, cold, not not summertime, not archery season. It's hard to beat the Lost Park parka from Kafaru because it's it's really a rain shell and puffy all in one, and you can actually walk through North Idaho brush pretty well without ripping it. I'm not trying to sell Kafaru for Aaron, but it's my wife lives in it because she's cold when it's 90 degrees. So anytime we go hunting together, she has it on. Yeah, so that sounds good. I'm, I'm, I'm a fat kid too that uh, shed about sixty-five pounds off my fat ass, and so I'm always cold. I'm always cold now. That would be. Yeah, I mean, one. we designed that thing just to stay. You know, it's a stay alive jacket. Um, you know, and I, it's not like I don't wear. I mean, at the house right now, I've got four Sitka puffies, three First Light puffies, uh, a couple Western Mountaineerings, a couple Mammoths. A rab. I, I literally, if I sold that shit, could put my kids through college, right? My daughter. Like, I have so many puffies. And I will use one in warmer weather. You know, I, I shuffle them around. But truly, when shit hits the fan, that the Lost Park Park is the puffy that I bring. It's just, it's that durable. You can low crawl in it. You can stay alive. I mean, it, we built, we literally, we built it to where it's the one jacket you can buy and, and run just that one. So what about like a September uh, type weather, you know, uh, more of a mid lightweight puffy? What, what are you liking? Um, prob- uh, probably that Kelvin um, from uh, not the Kelvin active, even though I really like that from from Sitka. Uh, the Kelvin light hoodie. I like that one for kind of an all around, um, you know, puffy jacket. It works pretty well. I, I just when it's like that, you almost don't even need one. Um, I always try to bring one, but, right. um, I, I mean, you know, it's just depending upon what kind of layering system you've got. Um, you know, for, for me, I guess it just depends, you know, it depends on who Frank never, he only brings a lost park park. That's it. <laughs> because when in September in Colorado, it can snow. Um, right. you know what I mean? So he may not need it, but one day out of the seven we're out there, but that one day he really needed it. Um, but if you're wanting to just like a, a super lightweight one, I think that Kelvin um, hoodie is pretty nice from uh, for, from Sitka. And, and it sounds like you guys are liking the puffy pants for glassing. And it's cold, yeah. I mean, it's got to yeah. be pretty dang cold for me to bring them. But yeah. yeah, it's got to be November. But I'm a little different there, and I like. I'm the same in the fact that I like like the um, the core heavyweight hoodie from Sitka or the new. I really gonna like that new Halstead or Halstead or however you say yeah. it with the hood on it from First Light. But I really, it's a not a hunting brand, and I'm waiting for a hunting company to come out with. It's the Ghost Whisper from Mountain Hardware. I really like that puffy. It's seven ounces, yeah. and it's really warm, and you don't even need it. You can just stack it away, and you don't even feel it. And that's the thing with 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 puffy jackets, and you know the the, the if the juice is worth the squeeze. Like I've tried a ton of different ones that are. I guess my biggest, you know, issue or whatever is I, I, I need to build a lighter weight puffy out of the material that we use. So it's a rain jacket and a puffy jacket kind of at the same time. Um, where most of the lighter weight ones, if you fart, they rip. I mean, they're just going to shred. Um, and so that, you know, that's something that, that, um, that, uh, kind of a hole, I guess, in the industry that, you know, you have, I haven't found yet. 
No, you do need to make a lightweight one of those. That was a big gold. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I, again, you know, it's a mate. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to to bring up camouflage. Like, that seems to be, like, a big hot topic amongst uh, a lot of the guys on the Internet. Um, I, myself, am not a huge proponent or believer in it. I use it, but... I don't think I don't really find uh, it very necessary. Like, what's your guys' take on the different patterns and and camouflage? Well, you remember when I told you that story where I missed that bull by four feet? Yeah, I was wearing a pure brown puffy from uh, the Uncompadre from First Light, and it's noisy as hell. And I hear how you can't call in elk, you can't elk hunt with it. Well, I was stick bow hunting. While I missed that, and then I called in another elk and shot it. So I think the camo's made solely to sell to hunters, and it's really not that necessary. But if I was going for the best-looking camo in order, I like the altitude from Cryptic, the Fusion, and Sitka's way down the list. I don't like the looks of the Sitka at all. I I don't think that shit matters at all. Yeah, I, I work in the woods. I do salmon habitat work. And I'm out in the woods uh, around these Roosevelt elk all the time. And I'm always, like, telling my boss, like, oh, there's a herd. I'm going to go sneaking on them. And I'm always, like, got a white T-shirt on and some waders, you know, like some green or orange-colored waders and some that are, like, making all kinds of noise. And I think it's movement. If, if you're moving, they see you. If you're not moving, they don't see you. Yeah, I know. I think a lot of it depends on the country you're hunting though if you're hunting wide open country i know that area i've been elk hunting the last couple years i rocked out there one day in my you know filson wool dark colored jacket one morning it was cold and i mean you're just standing out in the sagebrush man they they can see you i mean i know it's a lot of its movement but i think a lot of it has to though i'm i'm a fan of it in super open country for sure i like i love camo i liked first light i like that asap pattern I mean, I've had deer and elk come right by me, wide open. But if, if I'm hunting in some cover, I, I agree. I, I don't think it matters too much. But I've definitely gotten pegged a few times where I feel like if I was wearing camo, I would not have gotten pegged. But maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I mean, if I had to pick a pattern, it'd be Predator and ASAT. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I concur. Yeah. Um, you know, after that um, – I do like, same with her. I like, I, I like the sub alpine. I like cryptic. I like, you know, fusion and cypher. I just, um, for elk, um, it may be, um, a little bit different cause you are a little closer maybe sometimes, but the reality is if it's mule deer, goat, sheep, um, the, if I've done my job right, they're looking away from me half asleep before my arrow even goes in them. And yeah. I could be buck naked with a dip in my mouth. Um, and it wouldn't matter anyway because that animal shouldn't know I was there. A little bit different with elk. They're coming into a call. Same thing, wide open country, totally understandable. When we flag guys in on sheep hunts, I mean, there's patterns that you're like, holy shit, there he is. And there's other patterns like, I can't find him. So definitely for the human eye, it's a, it's a definite um, you know, difference. It's just, I, I, Ryan and I have talked about it. I think um, – I probably killed 15, 20 bulls in a sleeveless t-shirt. I probably had Copenhagen in on all of those. Um, I, it just, it, it's wind and movement is what's the most important thing. So what you're saying in the open country spot and stock, it doesn't matter what you're wearing because you're, you're moving in on a bedded animal. So it, they're, they're not coming in looking for you per se. 
for that, I mean, for the uh, situation that, that you were just talking about, different. But for me, we're waiting for them to bed. I mean, obviously everything's different. But when I make an approach on uh, a mule deer, a goat, or a sheep, or or or, or guiding a guy in, um, yeah, I mean they're not. If they've seen us, we've we I have not screwed up. Um, you know, we've screwed up. So, right. I Aaron knows this guy. I hunted with a guy. His name's Dave Vishnesky. I met him hunting when I was 16 years old, and he pretty much taught me everything that I know about hunting, woodmanship, cover, where elk are, why they're there. He hunted with an orange. It's an orange-striped, like, plaid vest his whole life and shot well over 36-point bulls with a stick bow. Wow. wow. What's we got to get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> You'll oh, never know him I don't think you'll get him on, but uh, if you did, you'd have to have the beat button on fast. <laughs> uh, nice. But nice. he with the same vest as long as I, I just, I mean, I met him in the woods. He pretty much lived in the woods. He's about two foot seven. He looks like uh, Papa Smurf. <laughs> and uh, he thought that was all just bullshit. And uh, I have to believe him with what he did. Yeah, well, yeah. my buddy Dan, I don't know how many he's killed in blue jeans. Uh, the rednecks down in James's country, that's what they wear is just blue jeans all over the place. Even even Norm Johnson, like most of yeah, his pictures guys, you'll see are in blue jeans. <laughs> blue, blue, blue jeans and a work shirt, and they get off work and go elk hunting. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Which is cool. I will say, though, there's probably 15 guys in the last couple years that I have gotten some clothing for and talked him into getting out of the blue jeans and into a hiking type pant. There's no denying the, 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 the material is better. Um, it's going to be better. You don't have to have it. And, and I get um, in arguments with some pretty crusty old bastards about this, but <laughs> you, you can't deny that cotton sucks. I'm not saying you can't kill shit in cotton. I just, if you're on a backpack hunt or if you need to dry stuff out faster Chafing between the legs, a more technical fabric is going to make you more efficient. Now, you know, their big stick is, well, I've been doing it this many years for, you know, whatever. And, I, yeah, I got it, man. You're cool. You get jeans. And I, I think that's yeah. amazing. But we thought the world was flat for a long time, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's right. Yeah, no, I, I know my buddy, Norm Johnson. We just finally got him into some four-way stretch pants and some renal wool. And he's 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 loving it. There's no way around it. He's loving it. Oh, there's no doubt that the stuff we have now keeps us in the woods longer. And Dave was no fool. His was all wool. He wasn't on the blue jeans and cotton kick. But it, I think the camo, now the camo, yeah, the camo is getting better for our vision. But I think it's still solely marketed to sell more clothing. Yeah. Right. The, the easiest way to do it, which could never be done, is if you took, um, let's say, 10 guys and uh, – you know, or five or whatever. And one guy is in the blue jean flannel shirt. He's in that, he's in that category. He's, he's column number one. Column number two is, uh, you know, the nylon pant, high tech, puffy, super duper, whatever. Right. And, and you have all these lists of guys in here, um, physical fitness being equal. You can't tell me that the guy that has the coolest, latest, greatest, nicest gear, isn't going to finish the thousand mile long race across multiple wildernesses a little bit happier than that poor bastard in blue jeans and a cotton flannel <laughs> shirt. It's, it's, it's not an arguable point. I mean, it just is. That doesn't mean you can't do it. And it doesn't mean the guys haven't done it for years. It's just 
my thing is take advantage of the technology that's given to you, right? The mountain men did it. Do you, I mean, do you really think that they're like, no, 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 I don't want to shoot this shark. Give me that piece of shit single shot <laughs> muzzle loader I had, right? I want to, I want to reload when the engines are coming after me. I want to stick a rod down this thing. I want to wait. I don't know. They wanted a repeater. They, they wanted one that loaded faster. I mean, I just don't understand why people get stuck on this and, 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 and truly, like, they are going to use the best they have to stay alive. We're, we're obviously we're soft as baby shit now, but we are should be using the best we can to our financial ability and, and everything else to stay alive or to be happy in the woods. Yeah, yeah, whatever keeps us out there right. longer. But I see it on hunting side, and Aaron can agree with this. It flips to the other side. It's easy to buy gear. It's hard to get a killer instinct and a little bit of woodsmanship. And it seems like people will buy gear, and they think that makes them a hunter. But then again, you see time and time again, all you see is that hunting selfie with this high-end gear and no dead animals. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many of my buddies have been like, "Geez, Bob, how do you, you know, how come, how do you apply for all these states and and buy these tags?" They'll ask me how much a non-resident tag is to wherever, and I'll be like, "I don't know. It's like five hundred bucks or six hundred bucks." You know, hopefully my wife's not listening, but they're always they always freak out, and I'm like, "Man, you you spent more than that on your backpack." Like, I don't even have a fancy. I don't have any fancy shit. I have a couple. You know, it, it's Christmas presents and birthday presents. You know, I got a. My, my pack I got for my birthday a few years ago, but I'm going hunting. I'm buying a tag and I'm out of here, you know, and they're, they're spending thousands of dollars on all their crap. I mean, if you have the money, like Aaron says, like definitely go out there and use it wisely, but you don't have to have all that stuff. You need to get out there and hunt and have those experiences for sure. Yeah. I, I, I know a handful of guys that have all this matching gear and a $50,000 truck and they, and they go on like one hunt a year and they're like, man, how are you going on? 30 day elk you're hunting all the time and it's like man i'm gonna pay my bills and go hunting before i buy a bunch of gear at this point in my life like i want to go hunting um i think i mean go ahead well i i'd rather spend my time in the woods and then i accumulate the gear like you say i have decent gear and i want to be able to stay out there longer and you know uh and be comfortable but i'm I'm gonna go uh put, put my money on a tag or my time in the woods before uh, I buy the latest and greatest. So for, and I'm a, I'm a gearhead, but I, I was just talking to a, a bunch of people who are at the shop, and, and, and Dana's a, a gal that we hired that works there that's uh, you know, a female getting into the industry, and she's getting into it, into the selfie, self-promotion slash, I don't even know what you call the industry nowadays, but she's in it, right? She's getting into it at this place in space, but she sees me in the midst of it, and but she also sees me how I am, like I am on this podcast. And I'm like, look, Dana, my life was really easy when I could only afford one system. And she goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I went and I bought some shit on sale, and that was my merino. And then later on, Arc'teryx or First Lighter had a fleece, and I bought that. And... You know, I didn't really have to pick and choose what my system was because I only had one system, right? Exactly. I just wore what I had. And, and, I, and of course, this is coming from a guy that sells $1,000 backpacks, but it's, also, <laughs> I, I, it's applicable to what you do. I, I can't, I'm assuming from what you just said, you're probably not backpacking in, you know, 14 days at a time. Negative. Maybe, maybe you are. Negative. But no. if, if, 
if you were, when I talk to guys like that, I'm like, dude, you need to buy this used, this used, this on sale, buy your boots new and your pack new. Those two things are on you all the time. Spend the cash on that. Everything else, kind of a moot point, do your best, right? Like you, you got those on. And I think what people need to, to, to realize is the fact that if you do have the money, and it's the same with photography, your skills should be equal or close to it to your gear. So if you can't get your fat ass up the hill, well, maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't drop $2,000 on a binocular, $1,000 on a pack. Maybe you can. I mean, people are probably going to stop buying my packs for saying this, but my, my point is, is you should try and keep things pretty equal. Like, get in shape with the pack you bought. Don't buy the pack and let it sit in the corner and, and take photos of it and shit. Put it on and, and get out there and get in shape. Um, I think you'd be a lot better off you know, of a hunter. And I mean, I, one thing you find is Ryan was raised with very little money, right? I mean, Brian, you're basically, Ryan, you're broke as a joke for most of your childhood, just figuring it out on your own. Yeah. We couldn't Same even with afford, me. You just, we couldn't even afford puffed rice. We couldn't afford puffing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember drinking powdered milk and you know, F that shit, right? I powdered milk was horrible. Cause that's all we could afford. Right. I mean, my, my, I mean, it made us better, you know, stronger people. But when you went hunting, it wasn't, I mean, that was your lifestyle. You ate that. That was, you know, whatever. I mean, that was part of your sustenance, not to get, you know, Stephen Ranella on you. Where now you're getting into that shit because you want to post selfie. You need to get on Instagram. You need to get your tweets up. You got to get that going or you're just not a hunter where Ryan and I and you guys obviously started. You were hunting because you were a hunter. You were hunting because you wanted to get meat, bring it home on the table camaraderie now oh hell no if you haven't selfied in the gym if you haven't sell i mean i was giving brinker and everybody crap we're in alberta and i i turned on my phone and filmed everybody and i said and this is what hunting's coming to we're about to stock the fetid mule deer bucks everybody's up to tweet everybody is like tell everybody what's going on i was like Hey, maybe we should kill this and reenact some of this shit. Like maybe, maybe we should go kill the animal and we can fake this. Like we don't have to. I mean, and I'm making jokes about yeah. it. I'm not all that serious, but I am kind of serious. You probably could do a little bit better job. A lot of people about learning animal behavior, getting in shape, um, you know, things like that rather than, than, than other stuff. I should stop talking because everybody's going to hate me by the time I'm done. Uh, I, I love it. Keep yeah, going. I think, I think everybody appreciates the honesty, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you touched on the binocular thing, though, and, you know, I, I think you should have the best glass that you can afford. I think that's always said, and and I'm, I'm you know, I, I have a pair of Swarovskis, and I got them when I couldn't afford them. I got them before I bought matching camo because I it's like if you can't find them, you can't go after them. And I meet a lot of guys out there who will have $300 pair of binoculars and $4,000 worth of camo. And so I think that's kind of like what we're talking about is there's certain, there's certain items that I, I think are uh, crucial to uh, the hunt. And, if, I and, I think, and I think optics are, are part of that. Yeah, I would go no, for, for, for sure. Boots, backpacks, and optics. Yeah, so. amen. Yeah, for sure, definitely. 
I, I, I mean, and, and, and so I'm not, I didn't miss with that. I a hundred percent you on the optics portion of it because I, I mean, uh, optics are like, I mean, you, you can never, you never go. I mean, you can resell optics, high quality optics, use 400 bucks after 10 years. You consider it rental price, right? Like you're not going to make a bad, you know, decision there. The resale value is super, super high. Uh, on the financial aspect and two, especially in the high country, which Ryan's never hunted, you know, here, uh, you know, with me, hopefully he will soon. I mean, we're, we're at 13,000 feet glassing from two miles around all the way in. And believe me, if it saves you a little bit of walking, um, North Idaho is elevation, rain and brush, right? Those are your factor or, or gaining and losing elevation, brush and rain. Colorado is your, your heart attacking you from altitude. Like that's the biggest problem. You park at 8,000, you camp at 12 and it took you four miles to get there. That's the equalizer here. That's your big problem is, is altitude. Um, you know, so every area has got different issues. I don't even know if you need binoculars in North Idaho. Uh, some spots you do. Um, I mean, we're being... here, we go in, go ahead. Uh, being able to see into the brush, I think, at Optics Shine. I mean, in that dark, misty, foggy, thick reap rod, uh, good Optics Shine, you can see that bull's antler or whatever. Uh, I, th- I think they have their merit no matter what country you're in. No, for sure. I think what I'm I'm kind of getting at is, um, you know, as far as uh, the sliding scale from each area. Sure. Some okay. areas, some things are going to be a bit more important than others. Um, I right. didn't do a very good job explaining that. Where, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Ryan, what would you say um, living in North Idaho um, compared to hunting in some of those other areas in Idaho? Would your gear change a little bit where you might focus a little bit more on one thing than the other uh, when you're hunting those more open areas? Oh, absolutely. I'm really outside of long range hunting in North Idaho with a rifle. If you're a bow hunting, you just pretty much need a good pair of binoculars. When I hunt Southern Idaho, which is a lot more open and a lot more altitude, um, you have to have a spotter. I mean, I have a spotter either way now, just cause that's the way I roll, but hunting down in Colorado, which I've never done, but I've been in Utah quite a bit, uh, looking around and I think it's similar and you have to have that big spotter that Aaron's always packing around because you, it saves you walking, it saves you time for sure. Absolutely. Oh, I, I mean, I look like, I mean, some of these areas we scout, I've got 10s, 15s, and a 95 when we go in. <laughs> and, and your big-ass camera. I mean, and I can, and my big camera. Oh, and another 12, 14 pounds of camera gear. Now, I'm physically able to do that, um, but one of the biggest reasons is, is we'll stay on one peak for three days glassing, um, you know, for for, a long, you know, for quite a distance away. We may move a little bit, but... Um, you know, it saves me from having to move a lot once we get there. It's just diff- different tactics, different gear, you know, needed for that specific thing. I mean, I, b- binoculars are always important, you know, to buy the best you can afford. But uh, there's other things that, um, you know, I see, again, like you talked about camo, you know, how important that ca- camo is compared to buying stuff on sale, use or whatever. Um, you know, I don't think like, and in, in for most cases, like shelter-wise, um you know, there's a lot of, you can get away with kind of a, um, especially for September, you don't really have to dump a ton of money, um, into a shelter out of the gate. Cause you don't even, if you're just getting started, you don't even know what the hell you like anyway. Some guys are floorless guys. Some guys are one man tent guys. Some guys want a ton of room. Um, and so if you buy out of the gate, what you think you want, 
you may end up selling it to buy what you actually want. So buying something cheap out of the gate might not be a horrible idea for shelter life. So as far as uh, shelters go, it's a, uh, I I know you guys make the a lot of the floorless shelters, and I have zero experience with that. Um, what is the downside of the floorless shelter? Bugs would really be the only. I mean, in my opinion, the only downside would be would be bugs. Okay. Well, and I'll caveat on that because I only use floorless shelters. Is you got to know where to set up your your shelter. <laughs> That's where people get yeah. in trouble. Dumbasses setting it up in, you know, depressions or shallow holes or a natural runoff. You got to use a little common sense, a little bit of woodsmanship, and and uh, Florida shelters are the bomb. Yeah, because it seems like for the weight ratio, you can get a, you're getting a bigger floor uh, footprint. Yeah, I mean that, and you can put a stove in it, um, you know, which is pretty freaking important. Um, I, I I mean, I personally run Ellibergs a lot, but Frank and I kind of, we talked about it like for, you know, for this year and, and going back and forth between uh, floored and floorless shelters after last year where we, we spent, I mean, more time than, than uh, you would probably imagine in the field. Um, well, three to five days a week from May on um, in, in the wilderness, sleeping on the ground, plus in hunting season, I just, I don't know how much more I'm going to run a floored you know, shelter because the bivy uh, tarp combo is just so much. I mean, it's it's just nice for me to have. Now, crazy, crazy extreme like conditions. Yeah, you, you you're going to want a four season tent at thirteen thousand feet in November, or October. But for the most part, um, me with a bivy and a tarp or just a tarp is is probably the system I'm going to going to go to and stick with for quite a while. It just saves weight. It's easier to to, to pitch, more versatile. And, and for guys that don't know, uh, Aaron, you're spending like like 200 days a year, 150 days a year in the field. Is that accurate? Oh, I mean, yeah, not days, man. I, I'm not one of those guys that counts driving around in the woods as a day in the field. Well, okay, 150 nights in the field. Oh, at least. Um, yeah. Yeah, if not, not more, which is probably why I been married three times although uh, my last uh, wife wasn't my wife but you're totally different i was gonna say, i was gonna say you must not be married hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was an asterisk if you guys don't know this about the com- the common law uh in your state you might want to look into it and listen to the uh aaron's podcast uh and get get a little education on it yeah, Aaron, this yeah, is, no that's, that floorless floor with the floors thing gets brought up all the time so this is a good good point when when would you use outside of your extreme you know snow high elevation like in north idaho why would you ever want to use a floored shelter in your opinion aaron man i I wouldn't um you know frank and i did a podcast today talking about this and 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 going off of my experience hunting with uh, with only you up there right Mm -hmm. um there isn't one time when i can think wow i'd rather have a, a floor um, because one, I can throw the, 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 you know, I think it's one pound, 12 ounces for my super tarp, the, the wood stove in, in my truck. And if I need to take it with me, I can, um, cause there's wood everywhere in North Idaho. I can always dry my stuff out or warm up on a backpack trip. Right. Um, and so I can't, th- I couldn't think of one reason cause we bracketed it out in all the different units, states, countries or whatever Canada I've hunted, um, 
I can pitch because where you were at, there's a lot of benchy spots um, right. where we were. And um, for, for me, sometimes the best places to sleep is in a deer bed where I'll pitch it at a little bit of an angle. There's already natural water um, uh, depressions going around that bed. Um, so I don't have to do any digging. The water's not going to hit. It's not going to pool up. I can pitch it faster. Um, sometimes I don't even need to pitch. I'll just jump in the bivy um, and sleep on the ground. Bugs have never been an issue for me. I don't, I don't, I mean, spiders and shit. I've never had a problem with that. Um, you know, I think a lot of it's mental for people where they're, they're like, oh my God, I don't have a wall. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or whatever, like to protect me from the outside. So I, I wouldn't say any that I could think of. No, I agree. And I, the biggest thing that I like going from, I've used a Florida, a Florida shelter a few times is it instantly gets muddy. You're instantly already dirty because you have, there's, there's no, there's no way to get away from water. And this is just Northern Idaho. The only time I can think of a reason to have a Florida shelter is when that rat ate the tongue out of your boot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But those, those rats will dig, well, they'll just, they'll just chew their way into your tent anyway. Yeah. Well, I just say they they can. I I yeah. think, and I just had a conversation with a guy about this today that called in. What do you do with water running in under the tent when it rains? And I don't know why I'd never explained this before. I said, man, in a rainstorm, when you look around you, is everything covered in water? No. Well, no, no, actually, no, no, not really. And I'm like, okay, well then put your tent in one of those spots, <laughs> man. Put your tarp in. I was like. <laughs> I said, truly, I said, this is coming from a guy that ran tarps well, but there's photos of me way before I worked for Kafaru running a tarp. So it's not just a sales pitch. I'm like, man, there is any time it rains, when, no matter where you're at, if you look around, there's going to be dry spots. I don't understand. Do you think God just says, I'm going to make a river flow under this guy's tarp, right? Like, no, it doesn't going to just run under there. If you set it up correctly. There's I, not gonna be any water running under this. I hunted in the uh, September in the Eagle Caps last year, and I was me and my buddy were sleeping together in a three-man Big Agnes, like their latest and greatest. And I felt like uh, we were in a little burrito together. It was, it was just, I hated oh, that, it. That's getting yeah. gay with a Daryl. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, Brokeback yeah, Mountain. yeah. I did. I that was Brokeback Mountain for sure. And it was like, it was like, it was hard to climb into that little thing. It was terrible. Was yeah, it a the, copper spur, a fly creek, or something? It ha- it had uh, two doors on both sides and had just like a little tiny, I don't know. Uh, it, it was my buddy's. He just picked it up at REI on our way to the mountain, and uh, it was it was an experience. I'll tell you that. Those floors make me claustrophobic. I can't stand them. Well, I, I think too, like, and I've heard some other guys and other you know talk you know on different. Uh, podcast talk about you know running a tent and it's stupid to run a floorless shelter um you know in certain situations and i mean truly like coming you know coming from a guy that that is his his, his, my boss patrick the owner of kafaro has been doing this for 50 years he's never ran a floor he hates them he thinks you're stupid for i mean he'll just tell you you're dumb when you run one i mean he's very outgoing about that. I'd be like, all right, youngin, <laughs> you're an idiot, right? He'll just tell you that. Um, don't call you an idiot. But, he, you know, his thing is like, look, if the bugs are that bad, like they're that horrible, 
I mean, truly, like, he'll run bug coils on the inside or something like that. But really, me looking at it, there's never been an area where I really wanted to go camping when bugs were that bad. Like, where I'm like, man, I just can't wait to get out there and sleep on the ground when the mosquitoes are that thick. Um, not saying I stay out of the woods, but thinking about it, I'm generally in an area where the bugs aren't that bad. And when they are, yeah, I may need a bug net bivy or, you know, I've actually packed a thermostat a few times uh, just to keep them away. But uh, my, his point was when they're that bad, don't you always bring bug juice? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, there, there you go. I don't see the you know, for, for him or whatever. So do you recommend a, like a super tarp with a bivy versus like your, is it called a tut? Is that your, your kind of square in like a September man, type it, hunt? It's just, the tut and the super tarp are, you know, one's basically a one man, one's a two man. Um, it just, if you're bugging up, it gives a tut or a sawtooth. If you're running single, run a pair of tarp or a super tarp. Um, okay. Is the sawtooth too and, much tent for September? No, not no. for two guys. Hell no. no. Okay. I mean, that's man. That thing's the bomb.com. Like everyone loves the sawtooth. Um, yeah. And it's extremely versatile, you know, in the sense that you can run it on a fourth season rifle hunt, or you can run it dead in the middle of the summer. You just don't run a, you know, there's times you'll run a liner or you won't. Sometimes you run a stove or you won't. It's only four and a half pounds, so it's not super yeah. heavy for two guys. The first I, time you come back wet in November in on a backpack hunt and you can crank up that stove, it'll change your life. I seen one. I seen the sawtooth set up uh, at an archery shoot last year, and it, it's awesome for sure. It's it's high on my list of to haves. Well, again, with all the different places we get to, you know, to to hunt. Like last year in British Columbia, we're on a goat hunt. I don't know what he was 30 miles in on horseback after an hour, you know, bear cub plane flight in. Um, and we had this piece of shit mountain hardware with clap plastic clips, bring it off of it, wind blowing it down. And all I could think was, man, why didn't I just bring an eight man teepee? Right. Like it's a fraction of the size of that tent, more room, you know, less weight. Um, and we could, we didn't need to, we could have put a stove in it, but, it's not like that, um, you know, the bugs weren't bad or whatever else, but I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm thinking of all these things as I'm doing this podcast. So I speak intelligently about it. And I'm like, why would you run a floor? You know, very rarely do you need, and you know, it's coming from a guy that's, that's run Hillebirds back and forth for what, Ryan, seven years, eight years. I've run Hillebirds. As long as I've known you. Hmm. Then I, you know, I bounce back and forth. I, I would say, you know, uh, like on a sheep hunt in, in, in Colorado in, uh, you know, earlier sheep hunts, I definitely would choose a tarp in a bivy or just a tarp. You know, when it gets later on, yeah, you're going to want to more run a more beefy bivy, um, you know, probably pitch the, the tarp or definitely pitch the tarp to the ground, get the annex on it, the, the front vestibule. But um, it's not like that super tarp. I haven't had it in 60, 70 mile an hour wind. It's not like a, a, a tent is more durable in the wind, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Right. You, you still got to put a bunch of guy outlines in, on it and everything else. So, another thing, that, another thing that's always brought up is what about when it snows? Well, there's a place I hunt mule deer that I backpack into with a super tarp, and I just use a eight-ounce Bora bivy, and I just sleep right on top of the snow, and I have no issues. Actually, it's pretty convenient because you can just jab stuff in the snow for holding it, and it's pretty – never had an issue. It's pretty straightforward, and it's not like you're going to get cold. You have a bivy, 
you have your sleeping pad and you have your whatever sleeping bag you have. Copy. Cool. Well, um, transitioning off the off that and back just into the trad bows before we wrap this up, like what are you guys shooting right now? Um, as far as uh, stick bows, are you? Do you have that uh, new Satari or uh, what are you shooting, Aaron? I've got a Rampart. That's the one that Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear those guys make, um, and uh, it's it's 52 pounds at 30 inches. Um, I'm shooting Eastern Axis out of it. Um, I, I've been I've been shooting that Cutthroat. I've got some uh, Tree Sharks as well. Um, you know, I again I just pretty much shoot what they tell me as I'm dialing it in. Right? I mean, they get with me. Um, is that a, is that a longbow? No, it's a recurve three piece. It's a big now. Who makes that for them? Um, the um, Poison Dart Custom. Uh, okay. He makes those Poison Dart longbows. Okay. Um, I, I've had a bunch of different bows as you can imagine. Um, I was half scared because of the trad community telling me I was shooting a soulless piece of shit because <laughs> I had an aluminum riser bow. But. Um, that rampart they made custom for me and uh and i shoot it pretty well i probably shoot it once a week just to keep uh you know my skill set up semi-decent but um i uh i've had good luck with that i don't know if i'm going to shoot a different bow or not um you know it's just going to depend if i end up going full trad at some point again or not and total arrow weight you're up in that 600 625 area 589 is what it uh, ended up weighing okay and and what are what are you shooting, Ryan? I don't shoot that metal gay shit. <laughs> uh, I like it. <laughs> I'm shooting a stalker stick bow, and I don't know what what even model it is, but I'll probably actually hunt with this that centaur that I've hunted forever with. It's a little faster. It's a little bit lighter for me to draw, and it's a whole lot less weight. Yeah, the hybrid uh, longbow. Yeah, and I don't even know that Aaron gave me a hell tour. Just a pile of arrows. I don't even know what arrows they are, Aaron. What are those? I think they're gold tips, yeah. Yeah, he gave me about I, 40 of them, so I have a whole bunch to shoot this year. Ha- have you uh, so much. Have you put a tree shark through anything, Aaron? Oh, yeah, I put it through the ass of that mule deer. Um, I tell you what, that tree shark is like, you know, when Chuck Adams got on, it's like shooting an axe through an animal, and I yeah. really slapped the shit out of him. Yeah, because yeah. it was a rage. That is like that is truly like shooting an axe through an animal with that tree shark. I shot that two and a half inch uh, cutting diameter fit, and I, I tell you what, when I shot that mule deer, um, I hit it back. It was cornering away, and so if you can imagine, you know, going from perfect to just eight inches back, it dropped down in basically just to the side of its uh, uh, spinal column. And then dropped in it, and when it ran off, it looked like a flagpole sticking out. Man, I don't know if I would have found that deer if I shot a different head. Man, that thing was doing some damage on the inside. I, I've seen the pictures, and it, it seems like it is shooting an axe with an animal. I mean, they, those things really open them up, but from, from what I've seen from pictures. Yeah, I mean, it's two and a half inch fixed blade. It does look like you have some kind of valuable weapon sticking off the end of that little stick, but it does some serious damage to whatever it hit. Copy. What about you, Ryan? What do you shoot for broadheads? I used the snuffers for a long time, but like 2006 or seven, I switched to the um, Magnus, the, where they were buzz cuts. Now I think they're just stingers. Okay. And they've all, I'm not a big 
detail guy on that. I'm gripping and ripping. Yeah. If it's got a sharp end on it, it's probably sharp enough. I get them heavy enough. All the arrows are, I know the ones Aaron gave me are heavy. They're over 500 grains for the arrow. I'm shooting a little longer arrow. And uh, yeah, it's not a big, big deal to me. But I do have a question for you guys because Aaron brought it up. Do you guys use rangefinders, stick bow hunting? I, I do not. I, I I have my rangefinder from my compound days, yeah. So I still it's actually it's the what is it, the Zeiss? It's like the PRF. I don't know if you guys have tested yep. that one out, but it's more for rifle hunters. But I bought it back in the day because I like to have that eight power it's like an eight by thirty, I think. And I basically use it as a binocular. Like I'm I don't do a ton of glassing, so if I am hunting thick country or even mule deer a lot, a lot of times I'll leave my Swarovskis because I don't want to pack the damn things in the desert when I'm going on a stock or something, and I'm still able to have that. And if, I, if I'm looking for the deer or whatever, I got a really good eight-power glass. Um, but I, and, and sometimes I do kind of – because my point on is right at 40, so I can kind of use that also as like don't go past there. You know, that's kind of like my – my uh where i draw the line so i guess my, I, and I work i work in the woods and my boss is uh hunts with a compound and he carries a rangefinder with him and all day long when we're doing like salmon habitat work sometimes we're covering a lot of ground and he's always like how far is that tree how far is that stump and he wants to play the guest the yardage game all day long especially like in july and august coming up to elk season and i've gotten so good at it that I think it helps me in my stick bow shooting just because I think I shoot like intuitive or whatever. And I think that my mind kind of knows exactly what 36 yards looks like, what 31 yards looks like, what 18 yards looks like. Um, so I've kind of, uh, by playing the guess the yardage game all the time, uh, I have a pretty good idea of what my, what yardage looks like. And so that's kind of my answer to that. How about you, Ryan? Do you use use one? No, but Aaron, do you, Aaron, do you use one? Yeah, oh yeah, I definitely use one because that's why I shot that mule deer at forty because I got to forty and that's my point on. Uh-huh. Um, you know, one hundred and eighty-six inch mule deer, and I didn't want to blow it, and I knew I could hit it, so I shot it at forty because I ranged it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shooting in those canyons, there was no ground to look at. I was here, dropped straight down, went straight back up, and he was bedded. I wouldn't have been able to guess it was forty. I took my uh, buddy, he's got a January elk tag, and I took him out uh, looking for some bulls out here on the coast yesterday. And he went to shoot at a stump, and I was standing next to him, and he shot, and he shot way low. And I looked at that stump, and I knew it was 55 yards. And he goes, man, that wasn't 30 yards. And I go, no, that wasn't 30 yards. That was 55 yards. And we walked it off, and it was 55 yards. Yeah. Huh. My point of all that was I thought it was stupid to use one of those until Aaron came up here. And then now I've slowly started shooting again. And since I started using a rangefinder, even though I can't say I'm instinctive or a gap, I'm kind of a mix between, man, I am way more accurate using that rangefinder, which I thought was just retarded, you know, 20 years or 10 years ago. So, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's my point to that. I think that if you're, I, I don't, I'm not using one, but I think that I am using one. I think that I, before I make a shot, I have a, a pretty good idea of what that yardage is. I'm not just <laughs> drawing back and, and hoping and guessing. I think that I'm actually going, okay, I need to hold cause that's 27 yards or whatever. Yeah, me too. And I think that, where, 
maybe that's from my compound days. But I've also been with, you know, not to not to throw Andy under the bus, but man, a couple of years ago we we were out hunting and we we didn't call this bull and we kind of jumped him. And anyway, I set up and he ended up sneaking around and getting right on this bull. And, and you know how sometimes in that timber things look like they're further than they are. And I'm watching the whole thing. I'm like, why isn't he shooting? Why isn't he shooting? What the hell? What the hell? And then the bull just, and this is a great big bull. And it just walks off. And I go up there. I'm like, what the hell? What, what's up, dude? I'm so pissed at him. And he's like, well, it's too far. It was over there by that stump. I'm like, that's like 30 yards, dude. What the hell? And he's like, no, it's not. And I'm a rangefinder. And I'm like, yeah, there you go. And he was, he's still to this day, you know, just sick to his stomach. But um, yeah, I, you know, it, it helps me. I think it's just because I've cheated for so long with one. I think the biggest, the easiest way to tell where it was for me, I shot a 40 target 3D course without a rangefinder. I shot this again a week later, not remembering the yardage with the rangefinder. I was 40 some points ahead of where I was without it, which pretty much said, hey, dumb shit, take the rangefinder. Like, yeah. you're that much better with it. Right. Um, hey, it- before I forget, you, you, you work in Oregon and you do um, salmon habitat, you work for the fish hatchery? I work for the Coos Watershed. Okay, you might not. I was going to say, do you by chance know Greg Grinbimmer or Terry Jones? They run the fish hatchery, several of them in Oregon. No, I don't. Uh-uh. I, I work, we're like a, a, a non rigatory company that we basically work for uh, the timber companies and help lay out their uh, uh, timbers as far as we, we kind of figure out where the fish are so they, we dictate where the buffers are going to go and help create habitat for salmon and steelhead within the coos within my county within the coos watershed so i'm i'm sorry sorry to interrupt yeah no problem so i don't work statewide basically i'm just working within my county uh from like down down to like powers powers oregon up to lakeside and out towards roseburg so i'm in the central coast yeah all the wet stuff yeah all the yeah the wet stuff yeah we call them coasties those of us from the rest of the state. They're special grade. Yeah. Yeah. I just call you guys liberals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you uh, go. I, there's, not, there's not too many of those around here, I promise you. <laughs> they, they all live in Portland. Yeah, maybe up, up where I'm at, there's a few of those for sure. Bob's in, uh, in liberal land, but yep. uh, we don't have those where, where I'm from. I promise you that. Yeah, I, I live and work yeah, we, there. We got a lot of them here. I live in... It's horrible in Denver. Yeah, I guess uh, you can't. You can't like, throw a liberal and not hit a Subaru. Hey, didn't you? Uh, yeah, didn't you have a Subaru? I heard. I did. I had to buy it. So, so you know how many ass clowns put their car, their cell phones, and my bumpers track where we go. Like I needed the best, most incognito vehicle possible to get away with where we <laughs> and a Subaru was it. Didn't put a yeah. coexist sticker on the back of that fucker. So, yeah, you didn't oh, have to put the again. Hillary sticker on the back though. Get, get, get in where you fit in, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, guys. Well, hey, uh, we're gonna wrap this up, but I uh, look for. I think we definitely need to do this again. Uh, the, there's a lot more stuff that we'd like to learn as far as uh, the gear, and uh, you know, talk a little bit about you know more of your guys' stick bow hunting adventures. So I, I appreciate you guys coming on today. No, no I, I appreciate you having me. And, hey, can you guys go ahead and tell uh, my listeners where to find you guys? You guys are both running a podcast. 
Um, why don't you go ahead, Ryan, and, and tell people uh, a little bit about Rockslide and uh, Avery Adventures? Yeah, Rockslide was started back in 2012 by me and Aaron and uh, David Long. Basically, it's just a place to find gear reviews on pretty much all the hunting gear out there. And if you're looking to buy some of that cheap gear, we have one of the best classifieds on the market. And you can find me at AveryAdventures.com, and you can listen to our podcast at Avery Adventures on iTunes or wherever you can find podcasts. And they also have got a trad, a, a trad section on their forum for you trad guys that want to go talk uh, on, on their uh, on their forums. Yeah, it's been quite busy lately, too. Yeah, it has. It's pretty cool. And uh, Snyder, can you give us a rundown on uh, uh, where people can find you? Uh, uh, we have a podcast called KifaruCast, so K-I-F-A-R-U-C-A-S-T. Uh, and that's Frank the Tank and I, my partner in crime. Um, I work uh, as a designer in R&D and a bunch of other shit for Kafaro International. Um, and if you just want to look at photos of pretty sunsets, look at um, Aaron, A-R-O-N <laughs> underscore Snyder on my Instagram page. And sunsets. Yeah. 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 And, Luckily, and, and, I kill shit, too, so thank God. Yeah, and, and uh, Aaron's... Uh, a lot of his stick bow adventures have been documented on the Gritty Bowman. Aaron was the co-host on there for 200 and some episodes, so you guys can check that out also if, if you guys are living under a rock and didn't already know. Yeah, there, there you go. But don't listen to Avery Adventures uh, first. Listen to Kavaru Cats. We're, we're way better. <laughs> Actually, go, go to podcast. I believe it's number two, and listen to the Struggle Stick stories if you're a trad bow guy. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Well, th- thank you so much, guys. We appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast again. We appreciate the support. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Those reviews could put you in to win a dozen arrows from Addictive Archery and Sherwood Shafts. We appreciate the reviews. Check us out on our website, tradquest.com. Send us an email at tradquest podcast at gmail.com and always keep the wind in your face pick a spot and shoot straight